Hello and welcome to episode 209 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between, how to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. But it's Friday. I hear you cry out into the podcast ether, the podcast black hole of nothingness where you can just scream out, wherever that is, uh, to the podcast devices of your choice, uh, that it's a Friday. How is it possible the Filmmakers Podcast are putting out an episode on a Friday? It's always Tuesday. What is going on? Well, let me tell you. I recorded this episode at the start of COVID and things just got on top of me. And I apologise to our guests because it just sat there unedited and unloved. But it's so hard to fit everything in. We only put one out a week and there's always a new release and therefore a new guest needs to come on and talk about it and help you grow as filmmakers. So I thought this episode would come out as a special today, this Friday, because... It is a fabulous episode and I'm gutted I didn't put it out before now. So, I am now, maybe a little late, but I am now very excited to tell you we have on Joshua Smith. Now, Joshua has made a country music road trip comedy feature film called Buckshot. One good thing about me uh, putting this out later, shall we say, is that Buckshot is now available in the UK. It's now available on Prime, so you can go watch it there. It's also available in the US on Prime and on iTunes. So maybe there was some benefit in me putting this out late. Do seek it out. Do support Josh. And do follow him at Buckshot Movie. Myself and Josh sat down and had a natter all about what it was like working on big features, which he had done before he made his first feature. We also talk about crowdfunding, Indiegogo, and travelling around with your missus, filming along the way, making a micro-budget, dramatic comedy indie film. We also talk about how he rewrote the script to fit the budget, and we talk about making Western comedy uh, set around country music. Josh gives you some screenwriting and some shooting schedule tips. He also talks about the importance of putting pickups into your budget. But brilliantly, we talk about getting a release, getting distribution, which is exactly what Josh did with Buckshot. I am Giles Alderson. I am a writer, director and a producer. And I have just handed into the producers the director's cut of The Stranger in Our Bed. Super excited. We are going to do a couple of really small pickups in the next coming weeks and then it's on to grade and post. It's my third live action directed feature and I'm super excited to get that out. It's a thriller based on a best-selling book of the same name and it's, uh, it's really exciting. Can't wait to get back and see some of the team again as well. It's always nice when you do that after a shoot. Um, so, for those of you who have listened to the episode with Matthew Modine, which came out on Tuesday, thank you so much. 
My God, your comments and likes and shares have been incredible. But Matthew was an amazing guest and I hope you've all gone out and watched Wrong Turn and supported him. And if not, uh, followed him on Twitter and given him some love for being on this podcast. Please do that at Matthew Modine. You will find him and just say thank you for being on the Filmmakers Podcast. That would be really cool. This week, I managed to watch one of my old short films. I've been redoing my showreel. Uh, first time in four years and I thought, right, it's time to redo it. So I started to look through all the stuff I'd done. I was like, oh, wow, yeah, there was that one as well and that short film. And I watched my first ever short film and it made me think because I remember at the time going, wow, this is great. Wow, this is brilliant. This is going to explode me onto the world and people are going to go, oh, gosh, we must hire him to make a feature. Well, looking back now, I kind of realise why that didn't happen. I think at the time I got very excited because I'd managed to tell someone, ask someone politely to point a camera in the right direction where actors were stood in the vague direction where I'd asked them to stand. And it made sense. It looked pretty. And it was a film. And I think I got excited by that. And we can all do that. But that's not why I brought this up. I brought this up because we should never get disheartened by that. We should never think, oh gosh, I should never make, I, I can't make a film and it not be good enough and not worry about it. Because at the time, whatever you're making is right for you at that point. It's your journey. It's your discovery of learning that you get by making films. And the more you make, the better you become. And I made God knows how many short films before I made my feature. God knows how many music videos and corporates and whatever. And it's so important to do that. And it doesn't matter if it's not good enough. It actually doesn't. Because my execs on my debut movie did not watch my short films. They just did not. Well, they might have done, but it certainly didn't have any effect on them actually giving us some money to make the film. Um, Stephen Follows, uh, who does a brilliant blog called StephenFollows.com, in one of his latest blogs, he talked about what the average age most directors are when making feature films. From any, from its debut to their 70th feature, it's unlikely, but you know what I mean. The age is... 45 to 50. That's the average age of directors making movies right now. That's got to give you some inspiration and hope. Whatever age you are, you can go out there and do it. And if you want to make your films, you can make it happen. It basically means you have time if you're young. And if you're older uh, than 50, you can still do it. There should be no age restriction on this at all. Or, and what it also tells you is that there is no one route. And whatever route you take will be yours. Just don't stop. Don't give up. Believe in what you have. And go make your indie film. That short is called Barry Brown. It's not on my website, so you can't see it. <laughs> Says it all, doesn't it? Coming up this Tuesday, this Tuesday's episode is with the stylist director, Jill Gavargazian. She has a wonderful chat about making her horror film, uh, The Stylist, which is out now, by the way. So that is on Tuesday. You can look forward to that. But I wanted to give a few shout outs. I haven't done this for a while, so I'm only going to give a few now and I'll give some more next week. But shout outs to Chloe Kudasama and Leroy, Matthew J. Lawrence, Martin Neely, Diane Knight, Jane Gull, who will be on the podcast very soon, Elliot McGuire. 
Conneborough, Rain McCormack, who has been on the podcast, Jessica Drouse, Guy Pigden, who also is coming up very soon, uh, Will Kenning and Andrew Barnabas. Shout outs to you. Thank you so much for your love and support. But an absolutely huge shout out goes to Chad from Perfect Package Podcast for editing this week's episode if you notice at the end of the Matthew Modine podcast was the trailer for his podcast perfect package do go listen it's all part of the podfix network which is a huge network of amazing podcasts but do go support them and check out Chad's perfect package as it were so let's get to this special episode with Joshua Smith enjoy well, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, this is a pleasure, man. This is great. I mean, you got in contact with us and told me about your film and said, this is what we've got. And I was like, this looks interesting. This is an indie filmmaker after my heart <laughs> who goes out there and makes the films. And that's what the podcast is all about. You know, how do, how do indie filmmakers go out there and just do it? And that's exactly what you did. And I love that. I love that you reached out and said, hey, uh, come and talk to me about Buckshot. And I was like, I love it westerns why not they're just sweet so obviously bookshot we'll, we'll talk in depth about that about this western feature film that you've made but let's talk about how you actually started how, to, how did you become a filmmaker how did you even get to bookshot in the first place yeah i first uh, i grew up in kansas and then <clears throat> moved to austin texas yep and i was going to go to the university of texas uh-huh. and end up working at a hotel it was weird. I was a bellman and then I got to the front desk and then Congratulations. I, Look at you office. moving up. <laughs> I was and I was only twenty one, so wow. it was moving pretty quickly. And anyway, I was gonna sit out a year and then I was gonna go to school. And so my year was up. I quit the hotel and my friend was the director of sales. Emilio Estevez walked in Hello. and wanted to rent some of the hotels as offices and then he wanted to stay there. And so my friend basically made a deal with the producer. It was like, I'll give you $1,000 off your bill if you hire my friend. And what? so that was it. I started working in movies. Stop and I was, it. And he agreed. Yeah. 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 yeah, all yeah. Right. Serious. So they, they totally agreed. Yeah. And it was an amazing thing because I was working in the office. So I was getting all the resumes from all the college kids and I was just filing them away. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm already here. <laughs> I already have, you know, yeah. my foot in the door. Yeah, so. why would I give this away? And and I'm the type of person that always have done I've done well with things that I've just thrown in the deep end and then have to struggle to figure it all out. Yeah. M- more than a person that just, you know, studies and figures it out. Mm, I know what you mean. So that that bared really well for me. So I I worked on big budget movies in Austin, so I did like uh Office Space and Varsity Blues and all the Sandra Bullock movies, hopefully it's Miss Congeniality. So I would do those like eight months out of the year and then four months out of the year, I would take the money that I was going to spend on college and I would make a short film like every year. I love that. You see, that's the get up and go that makes you a brilliant indie filmmaker, right? You're, you're working with other people that are, you know, some of them, some of the assistants and stuff are starting out. So you're like, hey, you're the camera assistant. Do you want to DP my short? Yeah. You know, it kind of, it kind of that's how you make relationships and meet people and stuff so yeah i mean it wor- worked out really well for me did work out really well and it must have been amazing to work on some of those big films though and sort of you oh, know it's great yeah just to see behind the curtain and, mm-hmm. and meet celebrities and just to more a lot of people come out of film school 
and you might understand, you know, movies that you've seen, but once you work on them, then you see how they're put together. Mm-hmm. And that, that education is phenomenal. Yeah. I and mean, that's kind of game changer. Yeah. I totally, I, I totally agree. A lot of people, you know, film schools are brilliant. There's some great pluses from them, but they do cost a lot of money. And the fact is you could go be a runner and learn so much more especially if you're proactive and get up and go about you you know you can go out there and, and and do it that way it's a route it's a great route yeah and i think it's also a good way and also like people just interning so save take that money that you're going to go to school and use it to live on while you intern and like try to figure it out and meet people i just got lucky and i was getting paid you know right off the bat yeah yeah congratulations so was all that whole time were you thinking i know you were making shorts but did you want to be a feature film director was that something you wanted to do Oh, definitely, definitely. And it was one of those things where then, you know, three months, four months out of the year wasn't enough for me yeah. to do film. So to, to actually make my own film. So then I started doing commercials. So commercials, you can make more money and you can get in and out pretty quickly. Very true. And so mm-hmm. in between there, I could write or I could, you know, work on other people's low budget films. And <clears throat> I kind of continued that trajectory. And then I started, basically, I had it worked out for a few years where I would produce uh, somebody else's film, like, a, a you know, a smaller budget film. I would do one a year. And then the rest of the time of the year, I would do commercials. So I had a, I had a pretty big uh, run on that. I, I did this movie Kablooey. Mm. Uh, so it's called Kablooey. Yes. Yes. Um, and Sony pictures classics released it and it starred Lisa Kudrow. Yep. And I was one of the producers on that. And then after that, I did a movie called uh, pretty ugly people. And it was, uh, directed by Tate Taylor. It was basically the whole team that did the help one movie before the help. So we had Tate wrote and directed it. Brunson green was the producer, which he produced the help. And then I was the co-producer. And then we had uh, Melissa McCarthy, mm-hmm. Octavia Spencer. Uh, Missy Pyle's uh, in there. Missy Pyle, Josh Hopkins. Yeah. A lot of great people. And then um, and then I got married. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. As if and, that, that just and, stopped uh, everything. <laughs> I started doing a little more commercials. And then at, at that point, I started producing commercials. So it started to get a little more lucrative for me. Mm-hmm. And then um, I just kind of... I'd grown tired of producing other people's films and kind of seeing, you know, I was really good at it and I, I like doing it, but then I, my ego kind of got in the way where mm. I was just tired of making other people's films and wanted to make mine. Yep. So I just being inspired by, um, I had another friend that did a movie called the Taiwan oyster Okay. and he had made it in Taiwan and he made it for $38,000. Wow. And I saw the movie and I, and I got picked up by Sundance selects. And it didn't have any stars in it, but it was really good. And it just blew my mind. I was like, well, wait a minute. Mm. With that amount of money, like I could go do my own film, you know, come hell or high water. So I started writing something. I was smart where I was like, okay, I'm going to write something with two people in an RV going cross country, stopping at motels and bars along the way. I mean, road trips are kind of the easiest things to accomplish. And it also makes for a great, great story. It does, does make a great story. Now, interestingly, you said about that, it makes it easy to accomplish. Is that because, and it's it's good for our listeners to know this, because, you know, if they're trying to make their first feature, they go, well, should it be all set in one room? Should it be a road trip? Now, I've done both. Um, and mm-hmm. I know that road trip movies can be difficult and it, it can be to do with locations, but you're only in them for a short period of time. You might only need an actor for a day, which is great because you can get maybe a name in or whoever. You said there that it, you found it was a good way to go. Can you tell us, explain a little more? Do you remember the um, Polish brothers? Yes. Yeah. 
they did this movie called Jackpot, and I had oh, seen. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember what Jackpot was about? I think yeah, it was it, it, John Grise. He played a a karaoke singer. Yeah, yeah. And he's going with um. Oh my God, it's not Marcus Garrett. He was uh, the African American gentleman that was on the first SNL. Morris Garrett, I think it's his name, or Garrett Morris. Sorry. Yeah, Garrett, Garrett Morris, Morris. Yes, is his manager, and they're traveling to these, you know, small towns, and he's trying to win these competitions. And I saw the behind the scenes, and the Polish brothers were talking about how they took one location that was a kind of slash diner bar, mm-hmm. and they shot it for like four different diners and bars. Mm-hmm. So it was just they stayed in the same location, and then they dressed it differently. And I was like, oh man, that's so smart. And so I, I used a little of that for the movie as well. And then we kind of did the same thing with the with the motels. They, they stay in a couple of different motels and we used the same motel and kind of dressed it differently. Yeah. So those were, those were the kind of cheats that I was after. And then I, I had this brilliant idea where it's kind of like get them to the Greek. If you've ever seen that? Of course. So the, they, they've got to go from Seattle to Nashville in five days in a, in a really crappy RV. I had this idea where I was going to only write the places that they stopped were places that my wife and I would go on holiday. We would drive to these places and we would shoot B-roll all the way there and all the way back. That's incredible. So was your is your missus okay with this, by the way? Because, you know what I mean? This is like, can we stop? I've got another shot. Oh my God, the sun's perfect. Can we stop again? She's like, really? <laughs> She's very patient. I got very lucky. She loves me very much. And uh, yeah, she was the editor on the film as well. So we, we met in production. So she really gets it. And she was executive producer on the movie as well. So Oh, great. Uh, you know, uh, a year of that, did get on her nerves for sure but we still we still well, were able she loves to do you it. and she loves your passion and you, she was like yeah yeah all right she humored me so but yeah the majority of the movie we shot here in los angeles and it was mm-hmm. one of those things where we we did do some crowdfunding which okay wasn't very good to me um Ooh, it's okay. kind of kind of the worst thing that ever happened to me go on tell us more because we've we've done it other people on here have done it yeah i think my biggest mistake because i had a friend that he had a consulting firm that would help out crowdfunding um campaigns and i i kind of got some advice from him and man i i, I spent you know five or six months like ramping it up and I was doing everything correctly, I thought. And I think one of our biggest mistakes was we didn't, and I'm not saying you need a big star, but you need someone on your cast that has a big social media following. Yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. You need that one little thing that'll put you over the edge. Unless if you're doing something about Alzheimer's or some kind of cause, then you can, you know, partner up with a, with a charity or partner up with an organization. You know, that always helps out too. And, you know, our movie is about country music. So I tried to, I kind of, and the idea with the crowdfunding is not, you don't want to do, you know, like a, a shotgun, you know, scatter blast everyone in the world. If you'd look at, there's a hundred million country music fans. I tried to narrow it down to a, a niche, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and that niche was uh, outlaw country music, and, and people were more tight knit and more passionate about it. So those right. are the people that that I went for. But anyway, long story short, we we by far did not even get close to reaching our goal. And um, uh, did you do? Of, was it an, an all or nothing? Or no, we did Indiegogo. I, I okay. was smart okay. in Good. doing that yes. because it. I wouldn't be speaking to you now if I had done Kickstarter for sure. And and that money was used for the movie, and and I couldn't have made the movie without it. So I mean. You know, it was kind of a give and take, but you have to be very realistic. And the amount of time that I spent prepping for it is the amount of time I could have been 
doing other things or doing more commercials just to get more money or something. Mm. So I don't know. I would have done it a little bit differently. But when we um, <clears throat> when we finally came out with the budget that we had, it was like we went from, you know, I took six months before that and I had like our A budget and I went out to everyone, as many people as I could hit up. And so we did that for six months and went after like, you know, real money. And when I say real money, like 500,000, I think was our goal first. Was that your A? That was your A budget? That was, that was our A. And then I think mm. B was 250. And then I think we ended up at D. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, okay, I, ended, got I ended up putting it in the can for 38,000, just like my right. friend. So, okay. So and the, then obviously there were some costs after that. Of course. And is this, have you put your own money of this in as well? Yeah. So, so it was the conjunction of the crowdfunding and then my own money as well. Oh, so that's what you meant with the 38. That was yours. Right. Okay. I see what you're yeah. saying. Wow. So it was okay. one, of, it was one of those things too, where I also wrote it where if everything went to hell, I could green light it myself. And so I always knew that. And that was that was kind of the saving grace. It would just I had to rewrite the script and kind of you know think of it a little little bit creatively in a different way. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't too far different than what we ended up with. Let's talk about how you wrote it then, because it's not easy to sit and write a script. So how did you go about coming up with the idea? Let and, me yeah. let the li listeners know though it's a it's a buckshot's a dramatic comedy. And it's about a young, struggling country singer, and he moves to Nashville to follow in his late father's footsteps of becoming a country star. But when he gets to Nashville, he finds out that his father has a really checkered past, and all his chances are de derailed. And he has this on the only thing he has is a job offer to drive Buckshot Thomas, and he's this like kind of crazy, aging, hard living honky tonk legend cross country and to what could be the last con concert of his life. Here's the job. You've got five days to get that son of a bitch to Nashville. He makes it on time, you play the showcase. Well, this here is my trip, and we're gonna do it my way. As long as we get to Nashville, we can do whatever floats your boat, Pops. You ever call me that again? You're gonna wind up like your damn telephone. His songwriting's what put him on the map. But people quit booking him because he'd be too drunk to play. Just drive this goddamn thing and leave me to hell alone, will you? Oh, hold on. You want to be a country singer? What the hell is this? Are these some kind of songs or... Oh, Yankee poetry. Man, those lyrics are from last night, huh? Charlie, I became a songwriter because I like telling my stories. It's that conviction that people connect with. Hell, I can show you. I'll help you try to find your true country performance. You keep working on them songs. Never know. This might not be your last stop either. Amazing, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of where I started with. And, and the idea germinated from, I worked with Willie Nelson a long time ago, like when I was first starting out in Austin. And uh, I was just a production assistant. You know, I was the guy that, you know, would knock on this trailer and say, Oh, Mr. Nelson, they're ready for you. And I would walk him to set. Yeah. There was a moment where, you know, his bus is very famous. Like the idea is if you get on Willie's bus, it's like, you know, dream come true. And he's usually smoking weed. And this <laughs> this time, this time, sadly, he, he was just getting over pneumonia or something. 
Okay. So he didn't, he wasn't smoking, but I was on the bus Wow. and I got FaceTime with him and he was a big football fan and I was kind of updating him on football scores. And and in the back of my mind, I was like, man, how, how wild would it be just to be a fly on the wall on this bus, you know, going to cross country to some concert with him. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I had this idea that I kind of filed away for years. You know, I'm, I'm a really big fan of country music and there's there's kind of a disconnect going on in the country music world where there is this new pop country and in derogatory way, they call it bro country. OK, um, that a lot of and then there's other like outlaw country is also known as pure country, real country. Um, it's kind of like the Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings. Mm-hmm. Um, Shooter Jennings, uh, even Sturgill Simpson, you know, is outlaw yes. country. Yeah, these two factions are at war with each other, and so I, I thought, like, how great would it be if you had a young kid who wants to be a pop country star for all the wrong reasons, doesn't really know that much about, you know, real country music, and he's stuck with this legend, you know, whether he was just a one hit wonder, but still a legend, he's stuck in this RV with him to go cross country. And that's where he kind of learns what real country music is. I mean, it's such a great concept. It's, you know, it's kind of the, uh, an old school uh, story, but yet you put your own spin on it. And I think that's really nice. And I think it's, I think it's lovely. I think it's a beautiful film. I think you shot it so well with the budget. Now that I know that you had, it's like, wow. Um, and and just going around shooting a, a movie like this with those beautiful locations and obviously it was something that you were massively passionate about as well and that that comes across it it seeps into every pore and i think that's lovely yeah maybe maybe just talk to us about how you got the cast then how you now set up about making the movie well i was also a huge fan of like 70s and 80s country movies so willie nelson had made a bunch of different movies like honeysuckle rose and songwriter and then I love movies like Smokey and the Bandit, and then Clint Eastwood did Every Which Way But Loose, which mm-hmm. is kind of a country music music movie. Yes. But anyway, those inspired me. But I also, from those movies, I loved the character actors. Like, character actors are my favorite people of all time. Like Harry Dean Stanton, Slim Pickens, Warren Oates. Um, yeah. Those guys are just, you know, and Warren Oates, I think, had he, God rest his soul, had he still been alive, would have been my number one choice. Um, but we did. We hired a casting director and then kind of went through the process. It was a really long process because of the budget changing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had big name people that were applying but we then we didn't have the money to pay them and then some investors were interested but then we don't have the cast attached and you know the chicken Mm -hmm. and the egg syndrome Um, always but i got really lucky because the two younger actors uh the 20 somethings i cast them first and the main character charlie stillman connor murphy played him and we were two weeks out from shooting and I still didn't have my buckshot. And he had recommended a family friend, uh, this guy named Tim Desarn, mm-hmm. uh, for me to take a look at him. And, and you know, I, 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 I definitely recognized him. I watched his reel and he kind of plays the small town sheriff in like every, you know, TV show you've ever seen. Yeah. He's also in Fight Club. He's in, yeah. He's, yeah. He's the I mean, guy he a, in Cabin yeah, in the Woods. Super, super famous scene in Cabin in the Woods. Um, and he's right now featured on Apple TV. Uh, plus he plays Aaron Paul's dad in uh, Truth Be Told. Oh, okay. Not so that. yeah, he's super experienced and, and I met with him and we read through the script and and he was a, uh, a person just in his life that had gone through a lot of the same things that Buckshot had gone through, a lot of loss. Uh, he's a recovering you know, alcoholic and that's something that Buckshot is as well. Yeah. So there was a lot of things, just him as a human being that he could also see in this character. Yes. 
it was it was I ended up landing him and, and he was amazing. He was I've never I've worked with a lot of people, but he was definitely the most uh, seasoned actor I've ever worked with. Uh-huh. And he uh, he would do this amazing thing. We would we would step on set to do blocking. The cinematographer would always already have the lens on, and we'd be talking about where you needed to be. And the cinematographer would say, "Hey Tim, can we have you move?" And he would move. Boom! He'd be like right here. And oh. every single time he would land perfectly, not knowing what lens were on, like any of that stuff. <laughs> he, he was just that just awesome. pro. Yeah, done it before. Knew where the light was. Yeah, and then you know sometimes he would look through the script and say, "Hey, what if I what if I didn't say this line and I did this look instead?" Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, oh, that's so great. That's so if you great. could do so, that all the time, it'd be brilliant. Yeah, and and the great thing about him is once he came on board, there were some holes we still had to fill, and some of them were most of them were the older actors that we needed, and so he started calling his friends and. Um, we got this guy, Frank Collison. Of course, he's amazing. Yeah, he yeah. plays this blind guitar maker in the movie. And he had been in tons of Coen Brothers movies. Like, he's just really a national treasure. And, and he really had him for one day. Mm-hmm. And so he's, pl- he's playing a blind person. So I gave him some, like, you know, frosted uh, sunglasses. Yeah, oh, so sorry, he, yeah. He, couldn't, yeah. he couldn't see, you know. Um, and we couldn't see his eyes. And so we shoot with him for that day. And he was super nice. And everything, you know, was going really well. But there was just something off. Like, I just couldn't put my finger on it. I remember afterwards, I told my wife, I was like, I don't know. He was just okay. And we, and I was just, like, kind of bummed out. And it wasn't until I finally got to sit down with the footage and I got to watch him on screen. He was doing things that I couldn't even see on the day. Yeah. And yeah. that's those scenes are some of the most memorable scenes in the movie. He is yeah. amazing. He's I, awesome. I, I love it when actors bring something that you weren't expecting and it could be a little eye flick an eyebrow a, a, a move or a thought process so inside subtle. it's so amazing when they do those little things they know what they're doing and it's yeah. also like you yeah just for actors and especially with younger actors just figure out less is more you know mm-hmm. you don't have to do that much let the camera do all the yeah part, let the story heavy, do heavy it. absolutely so you've got your cast so you've you've managed to do so that. yeah, yeah. so so based on that, I, I brought on Tim as a producer as well because he brought great. all these amazing actors. He brought is actually his wife's in the movie as well. It's, oh yeah, she's a really great actress. Yeah, great. she plays a, a scene opposite him, and then uh, this other actor named Alan Wasserman who was on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh played, yeah, of course. He, he played the head of HBO at, with his real name. <laughs> it's Alan Wasserman, the head of HBO. So he, yeah, he played. Uh, he played the honky tonk owner and he was great too. So yeah, the cast wise, I really lucked out. And mm. um, so then it, going back to the writing process, something that I, that I, I wrote the film, you know, it, it took me like a year or two to get it all straightened out and up to speed. And the one thing that when I was writing, when the songs would come up, cause you know, the movie's about two songwriters and it's, it's, you know, they have original songs in the movie. And <laughs> when we were first raising money, yeah, I'd put a line, um, line item that was like, Oh, well I'll just, we'll hire some real musician and he'll write all the music, you know, and then mm-hmm. the budget started getting lower and lower. And then I'd written into the script, just placeholders of song, you know, real songs, like a Willie Nelson song or Waylon Jennings song, whatever that sure, song yeah, was, you, can, you know, can't afford that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, But it also gave, it would give that person an idea of, I want something, you know, that tells this kind of story of that song. So finally, crunch time started coming and one of my friends was like look you somebody's got to write these lyrics like you got to get on this so i finally trapped myself in a room 
and just was banging it out on my own just from my love of music and and mm. fan of songwriting but i'd never tried it before i have no musical ability whatsoever and i ended up writing all the songs but one in the movie and then we did hire uh, some musicians to put you know the actual music to it but uh that was a tall order and and it's some of the the biggest uh, accolades that i get that people really love the lyrics so see that's really amazing isn't it we can do that if something we really believe in and really want to do we lock ourselves away for a little while in a room and go i'm going to write this i'm going to make it happen um and you did which is great had you already you'd already written a script at this point but so let's just jump yeah. back in terms of how you how did you write the story did you write it as in because you had the idea, did you a scriptment? Did you do scene by well, scene? What I did first was I I did another. I hadn't done a short film in a while, so I directed a short film, and that kind of got my juices okay. going. And then right after yeah. it, I wrote the short film of Buckshot, and I was like, "Oh, I'm going to do another short film." And then when I met with my friend, and he was like, "Hey, if you just put some more money into it, it could be a feature." So then mm -hmm. I elongated it, and and back then it was just it was just in a motel room. So it was like Buckshot held up in a motel room with this kid having to go to the hotel room and get him out of the hotel room to get him to the concert. So it was just kind of a nice. snapshot of the movie, and then from there I started outlining. And usually I do the outline for as long as I can. I don't want any there are there are always going to be surprises, but for me it's better to have it all outlined so that you at least have a roadmap of where to go. And then, yeah, I started banging it out and, um, yeah, that's where I ended up. Right. Great. Did you, did you give it to anyone to, to look over? Did your, uh, Alyssa, yeah, 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 she read a lot of it and, uh, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a lot of screenwriter friends. So I, I got a lot of notes. Um, it's just one of those things, you know, you get a lot of notes, then you're like, well, who's right and who's wrong. And finally you just mm -hmm. got to trust your gut and you could keep tinkering it with, with, with it forever. That's another thing that you have to be worried about and and my friend that made the movie for thirty eight thousand uh, in taiwan i was you know i was just spellbound i was like well how do you just do it how do you and he's like here's the deal you set a date and the train's gonna leave the station go into that date and either people get on the train or they get off the train but that train's going and it's gonna stop as soon as the movie's over so that's what really helped me like finally when we i said look the the script's locked and here's the date we're gonna shoot Let's start assembling everyone. And I don't care if we got if I got ten dollars and a Super 8 camera and it's me and my wife shooting it, then that's what it's gonna be. But it's gonna happen. So as long as people believe that, you know, it's all about belief. Yes. It is, it is. And I love that analogy of the train. Once the train's on the tracks and it's going and you're going, Well, we're shooting it this day, so jump on yeah. quick. Because if not, we're gonna get someone else. And that it's really inspiring for most people because they want to be involved in a film that's actually happening. And the fact that you're now going, well, we have a date, we've got some money, we've got this cast, we're going to go shoot. Things actually start happening. And it's crazy when you do that, but they do. It's like, uh, it needs something really big for it to not happen, you know? Like, there are the dates, there's the money, let's, we're shooting it. You start booking locations. So let's talk about that then. How did you plan it? Did you do all the storyboards? Did you do all the, um, production daily you know yeah i'm not a big storyboard person i had a great dp so kind of what really helped us would after we had done the tech scout him and i would circle back to the locations and then we would just block it out ourselves so when we actually got to the location we already knew exactly what we were doing and so for me that was better than storyboards because storyboards always happen usually before the locations are picked so it's always it's going to have to change no matter what so that's what worked best for me and then 
smartly, you know, like I said, I'm, I've produced a lot of things here in LA, so I kind of know what you can and can get away with. Um, so we purposely, there's like a, a 30 mile zone, you know what a zone is? Like if you, uh, for the unions, it's from the city point and then you can travel 30 miles in a, in like a circle. And like What's a, that? So this is an American law. Go on. So that keeps you inside the zone. So you don't have to pay mileage for people going outside of the zone. Got Yeah. Okay. Fine. So it's not a, a distant location, but what I would do is I planned everything. So the my you know it's thirty miles. I would do everything like at the twenty sixth mile. So these were all well, they're all <laughs> pushing like, people, little, like little it, bitty yeah. towns that nobody shoot in. So like one was Palmdale, another one was West Covina. Um, we were in mm-hmm. Long Beach for a little bit. We would just go to places that people usually don't show up and ask to film, and then we got you know great deals, and um, permitting was a little bit easier as well. So that that all really helped us. Uh, but we did you do that then did you go around beforehand and just sort of drive around and go well that'd be nice should we just go and knock on oh, i did crazy amounts of scouting well at first when we when i thought we had more money we were going to go i wanted to go to austin i wanted to bring it back to austin okay. shoot everything there a majority of the movie takes place in texas so that was my plan and then when that kind of blew up then we kind of retreated back here and then i was going so little town, you know, kind of out, even outside the zone. Cause I was like, Oh, we'll just travel like a small group. And we looked at Bakersfield cause they have a really, um, huge country music history, like Merle Haggard's from there and Buck Owens and all mm-hmm. these different people. And they have a, they have a, a huge honky tonk called the Crystal Palace. That's really cool. But, um, but then it just wasn't, we couldn't afford it, you know, cause I would even have to put myself up. That's a cost as well. So then, yeah, we retreated back here. So I had. The producer did some scouting. I did some scouting. Yeah, it was. We never really. I had one location manager buddy that kind of turned me on to some places, but for the most part, it was exactly what you said: was us making phone calls, and knocking doors, and and it's crazy. Um, this is a really good story. There was a moment in the movie where I wanted this epic scene where Buckshot gets mad at Charlie, and he. He throws the the RV. They're in this. Sorry, I'm gonna back up. They're in this uh, stone quarry, and they're at the top of the quarry. And he brings the kid there because this is a place where he used to escape when because they're in Buckshot's hometown. This is a place that he used to escape when he was younger because his dad didn't like him singing. So he would come here and he would sing into the quarry canyon, and then the the sound would come back and he could hear his own voice. So he brings the kid there, but things kind of go awry, and they ended up the RV ends up going over the cliff. And down in the rock quarry, which, you know, for the amount of money we had was probably not likely. Uh, but I looked for the rock quarry and I was trying to figure out ways to fix it. Well, we had found this awesome bar and I was leaving the bar. They said, well, hey, there's a there's a uh, like a Knights of Columbus Hall. It's like a church uh, gathering hall, but they have um, like a little stage setting. And then they also have a little bar. And I was like, oh, I'll go over there and check it out. And when I got over there, I saw the little stage and I was like, oh, oh this is perfect. Cause it looks like a little, mm. I don't know what they would call it, but like a VFW, it's like a, a veterans bar, like where retired veterans go to hang out. They call them VFWs. Yeah. Working, working man's club. Working man's club. There you go. So it was yeah, like that with a little bar. And then it had this awesome stage and I was like, oh my God, this could be like little town Texas and this instead of going to the rock quarry he would sneak in here and he would get on stage and he would listen to the reverberation of his of his voice and so I rewrote the whole scene to fit in there and it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie 
And that, that just happened because I found the right location and it inspired me to, to rewrite it to fit that. So, mm -hmm. And I think that happens a lot with indie filmmakers. We often get to the location where we go, well, this is, this is kind of the best of a bad bunch. You then have to rewrite your script to fit because you just have to. The door isn't that way anymore or there's no roof on it or there's no, you know, the, the, the way you'd set it out in your mind or a certain character has to come through a trap door. Well, there's no trap door in this location. So, so you <laughs> it's have so to true. rewrite it. It just is. And I think we we do, it's kind of that thing we have to just get used to as indie filmmakers and we kind of don't expect it. We kind of go, oh no, someone will sort that. Someone will build me a, a you know, a, a trap door, but it's not. With the amount of fake doors I've used in films where they go nowhere, they're just against <laughs> a blank wall. We stuck a door there and someone comes through it, right? Sneaks through and yeah, it works. So many films I've done it in now. I love it. <laughs> we were shooting at another location. Charlie, the main character, was supposed to make a phone call from one of the honky tonks or something and we didn't have access to it that day. And so I'd walked out and I saw a payphone, which you don't see a payphone. Hardly ever. And we'd already established ever. earlier in the movie that his cell phone gets destroyed. And so anyway, we looked around for police officers and then we ran over there and got him on the phone and started shooting and just popped it off right there. And it, and it looks great in the movie. It's yeah. like really cool. But that was yeah. another happy accident. I love those. You've just got to steal shots wherever you can. I think as indie filmmakers, if you, there's a shot you like, sometimes it, you've got to ask permission. But other times it's just like, let's just go shoot there until someone tells us yeah. not. I mean, you know, you're not breaking the law just getting a shot secretly it's you know true. It's, it's true what we have to do it's exciting because otherwise your, your movie's got to make sense and it can be you're right really exciting so let's talk about the shooting of it then how like you say was it exciting for you or was it quite daunting now that you're stepping up to direct a feature it was daunting i mean with the the budgets that i had and, and most of my friends or you know super high-end you know technicians and i couldn't mm -hmm. ask them to take two weeks and hang out on a low budget movie set um so i had oh. to hire i ended up getting a producer that kind of came from that world and, and he, it was somebody that was younger and i was like you know what this is a person that i can teach like i can help produce most of it it's just once we get closer to production i don't want to touch any of that stuff i don't want to even have to think of it and he, and he did a great job in that way so it was learning curves for me is, is what I expect on a set, like the amount of professionalism and, and things that, that I think I should have or things should operate in a certain way. It took me a while mm -hmm. to, to kind of change my mindset that a lot of people are learning and a lot of people are going to make mistakes, but they're, they're, they're here to help. So once I changed my mindset for that, it got a lot easier. And it was super exciting mm. every day that I that I worked with the actors, uh, and especially Tim. You know, it just got more and more exciting because I was watching this transformation that was happening in front of my eyes. And you know, the first time you hear you hear your script read out loud, you know, or you you see it, yeah, it's so Feeling, amazing, it? so amazing. Yeah. And oh, to go back to your question though about prep, and I'll slip this in there too. We, we didn't really do any rehearsals, but we, I did the one thing that I, that I was so valuable, um, was that we did just a one day thing where, um, the two leads, Connor and Tim, we just sat down and did a table read together. And we made, nice. yeah, we made a lot of yeah. changes to the dialogue and we kind of already had most of our talks so that when we got on set, we knew we were going to have to move so quickly. We wouldn't have that time. So that was, yeah, that was invaluable. So I, I recommend that to anyone that can can do that. I mean, it was a little easier for us because 
the majority of the movie are just two people. So I didn't sure. get to yeah. you know, rehearse or even meet with the other actors. Um, you know, I, oh, right. So it's just when they came on to sort of your a set. A lot of people well. I auditioned, but like I said, some of the people that Tim knew that brought on like Frank Collison and Alan Wasserman, I was like, I'm not going to ask these guys to read. Like they're, you know, they're great. And then we did have a conversation on the phone for sure. I just didn't have time to, you know, run through the scenes with them and, and do things that I would have wanted to do, but it still worked out really great. Mm. Well, again, you're working with, the high-end talent there that already know what they're doing so it's a case of they understand the setup it's not like it's someone new where you've got to talk them through it completely this is someone who knows what they're doing so it does make a difference but it is nice to get that rehearsal and i think now is the perfect time for people to do table reads over skype now these days the zoom conferencing actors are always up for it and actually it saves hiring a venue just do it online um now's a great time but actually in the future as well i, I think this has opened up a huge market for we've got a new script let's just listen to it and actors always bring something that you didn't see yeah there's a bit where my, my character disappears and then comes back there and aren't they still pissed off with them or aren't they? and you go oh god yeah yeah we just it was in an, another scene that got taken out or whatever and i think it's vital those little moments it's, a great, so idea. it's great that you got to do that that's a great idea and i've even heard of have you seen the movie thunder road yeah of course jim cummings he's been on the podcast so great yeah. but he's a big proponent of he did his whole movie as a podcast yes, which i did. think is really yeah, smart as well he played all the characters which is really yeah, fascinating that was one of my um, i don't think favorite he, movies. he doesn't put it out yeah it's great isn't it thunder yeah road? really it blew good me out there. and they made that in austin which is great as well yeah yeah, but he, that was on the base of his really successful short film as well. Oh, I love um, the short. Which is just, just great. I'm trying to find the episode number. There you go. 110, Jim Cummings. He's great. He's great. When I was over in LA recently, I messaged him to, to, to meet up and stuff. He's, he's just a really wonderful indie filmmaker guy who's, you know, top of his game right yeah, now. And he's a good ambassador for the for indie film as well. Big fan. Yeah. So he did that and you were like, well, I, you know, you can do it too. And you, you're going out there and you're making it. What, what problems did you encounter along the way? What things can our listeners learn? I would say, and Robert Rodriguez kind of in his book, Rebel Without a Crew, his whole thing was if you're going to do something for a really low budget, Right around things that you know you can get or you have access to. Mm -hmm. So that was a big thing for me. Like I knew we could get the RV. I knew about, you know, the, the idea of changing the motels and bars, you know, changing them around. And then the idea of actually only doing B roll to places that you don't have to pay money to go to because you're already going there. That was really smart. So those were kind of the big lessons for me and that, um, we, I probably had ambitiously more locations than I probably should have, even though I was using all of these tricks. Some mm -hmm. places I just couldn't replicate. Like, for instance, so we shot six days and then a day off and then seven more days. And, wow. but the, the wow. seventh day was just me, the DP, my wife, sound guy, okay. and Tim and Charlie. So we only had like five people. Usually on a shooting schedule, you have something that you can keep carrying, like a, a kind of like as a cover set from day to day. Mm -hmm. And so for us, that was the RV because we had rented it for the whole period of time because we never knew that was our cover set. And it never rains in California. So it was more of a, hey, we didn't make our day because we were supposed to shoot some RV stuff. Let's move it to the next day, mm -hmm. the next day. So at the end of the shoot, we had one full day in the RV. So we went oh, out, out was, the desert and uh, powered it out. Powered it out and did it. How was that six day shoots? Because a lot of people say six days is very hard on your crew. Obviously, it was only over two weeks, really. So I think when it's so only bad, two weeks, but... it's fine. I mean, that movie I did, Kablooey, yeah. I think we did 24 days. So it was four six day weeks. And even had some turnaround nights, you know, where it's like 
Friday Jeez. wrap at like 8 p.m. and then um, Sunday you're back at 8 a.m. or something crazy. So that wasn't great. No. And what do you what do you feel about that? Because like you say, you worked on so many films, and in terms of the fact that it, five day weeks are surely better to give the cast and crew rest again if you can afford it. I also think if you do like six five six or six five five six. I think doing the mm, sixth day yeah. at the end, there's not a problem. And maybe yeah. even at the beginning okay. and then having kind of the two day break in the middle. I mean, it all depends on your, you know, your budget. But um, but you also have to think about the equipment. I mean, that's where it I mean, of course, you should think about the crew. I'm not saying that. But the cost really comes in with you have that equipment for an extra day sitting in a parking lot because mm-hmm. no, you, you rent it by the week. So, um, yeah, well, the clever way to do that is to start. on the weekend so you get or end it so that you get those extra two days there's clever ways you can deal with that because you often get weekends free and it goes back monday morning where you go well let's be clever about this and pick it up friday night you know what i mean and then suddenly you've you've got that extra few days for free but i like the way we did that on a serial killer's guide to life yeah (laughs) i think it's important so you've got you've well on indie films you've got to save money wherever you can wherever you can definitely so now you're there you're out there making it six day weeks um and you what was your mind process like during that was it a case of just plow through this is how i want to shoot this each day was it a new challenge or how talk me through the filmmaking itself we we did get lucky there was no huge hiccups like i never lost a location i had to flip a location so pretty much what we planned we could you know i think the only exception was that rv that we were carrying Mm. the other thing is just getting through the the smaller days is are so much easier like we you know the first scene that we shot was was a smaller day as compared to what we needed and we were just in one spot but i actually had the actors do like one of their big fights which is probably not the best idea on the first day but what it did for me mm. was once we got through that day, that was when my confidence soared. I was like, I got this. Like these guys are great. They like they did it. This is the first day. And when you watch the movie, you would never guess that, that that scene was on the first day. So that gave me a lot of courage and a lot of strength. So that actually was a plus for me. But we uh there's another really and I don't want to give too much away in the movie, but there's a scene in a graveyard. And I purposely mm-hmm. scheduled that for the middle of the shoot. And that was still really that was probably the most difficult day we had just was a very emotional shoot. And there was a lot of stuff going on. So that was, and that was really yeah. tough on uh, Tim, the actor. He, that was kind of his, his big scene. So, um, yeah. but, but one of the other things that I did that I thought was kind of smart was I couldn't afford, well, here, let me back up the whole movie. Kind of the climax is they finally arrive at this, you know, this big honky tonk venue that he's going to play this concert. So, uh, I couldn't afford that venue in the schedule and the, in the budget at the time. So I said, let's, let's shoot 13 days, get what we can get. And then no, we've got to go back one day to this honky tonk and, and, and shoot the rest of it. And that was great because I was able to edit for, I think, cause we waited, I think it was two or three months before we shot it. And it was a little harrowing because uh tim had grown a a handlebar mustache which he didn't normally have for commercials and movies so you know every time he went on an audition he'd call me and go well i hope i don't get it because i'm about to shave you know And, and i was prepared to maybe put you know a fake one on him but that was always like terrifying and then i think there was even a couple days where i I was going to get another quick pickup and one of the actresses had dyed her hair from red to brown and refused to dye it back 
Yeah, it can happen. It wasn't yeah. essential that I needed it, but I mean, if you do what I did, you could run into these things really easily. So you have to be careful. But but that the reason it helped me was because once we got into editing, there were some things that weren't working and some things I did want to reshoot. So I reworked them to fit into that day inside that honky tonk, and it was a game changer. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? How we can we can try and make it work and fit around it and yeah stick a hat on someone and suddenly they can't tell the hair's different you know it's <laughs> yeah amazing so yeah that was a godsend yeah. but yeah that was all, those are the things that i think i learned and if you have the opportunity to to do you know to, to schedule and budget you know one or two days reshoots yeah that that would be a real game changer if you could do it i, w- I would I do it totally agree i think you should i think everyone should budget that yeah. into their budgets the the fact that you're getting two extra days because you will always want pickups and then the actors know this is happening without it you you, you can be a real problem yeah, um, totally i think if you if you're putting it into the budget already well it's part of the budget and if you don't use it great that can go on marketing or post or you know all those other amazing things that you forget you need <laughs> when you're shooting a movie <laughs> talking of which how did you do the post then side of it did you you know get involved massively here essentially my producer he was just kind of an on-set producer and then once we wrapped you know he was out of you know out of the picture so i, I was right. going to take back the reins. so and i had never all the movies that i mentioned earlier that i'd produced i'd never gone through posts so i'd done it with short films but i'd never done it with features so it was a whole different animal and a whole different learning curve and my wife she mostly does television and um commercials so she'd never she'd okay. never done a feature so it was us kind of figuring it out and the good thing about me or us being the investors was there was nobody breathing down my neck so it's kind mm-hmm. of a good and bad thing like I, I didn't have a deadline to get it finished but then we could only do it on weekends because we were both working so we end up editing for two years which sounds like a long time, but there were so many, no, well, just, there was so I many great it. things that changed, you know, it's, if you have that amount of time and you can try so many different things and go through so many different versions and then walk away from it and then come back with fresh eyes, it makes a big difference, mm. a really big difference. Yeah. I agree with that because things can get pushed out a bit too quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and things, I've had both sides of that with Adair. It was, I think it's three years in total because we couldn't get back for reshoots. And, you know, now it's out. It's great. But I think it took that long. And, and whereas uh, my King Arthur movie is, you know, we shot it in November and we've just delivered yesterday. That's crazy. Suddenly, you know, that's going to be out in July. And you're kind of like, okay. It's so sometimes it just that's how it works. Sometimes the deadline is great, but I suppose my point is on the dare we had the time to sit and look at it and go, what's missing here? What's wrong? Mm-hmm. What can we make better? And that was you know invaluable at the end of the day to make a better. Yeah, film. and we got to we were able to show it to a lot of great people. I had uh, there's a commercial director I produce for that he comes from the big budget world of editing, like he was an editor for a long time, and so he. He really taught me. We, we went through it and, and I, you know, I, I kind of understood tone, but on this one, I was having a really tough time with it. And so he just showed me some pointers and really just sat down with me with the movie. And we didn't go through every scene, but he just tried to explain to me how just, you know, a look here or a look there or take out this line or sit on mm-hmm. this actor for a little bit longer and the tone's going to change. Suddenly my head opened and and i and i got it i was like oh wait i understand so at that point 
Mm-hmm. And this was me. I had dabbled a little bit of editing, you know, way back like the early 2000s and hadn't really touched it since then. So I would have all these ideas and then I would try to make these changes. And I knew if I made them, it would take me two hours. And if I waited till Alyssa got home, she could do it in 20 minutes. And so mm-hmm. this is something yep. that continued for a couple months. And then finally, I was like, just rolled up my sleeves and like, well, I'm just going to have to start doing things. So I, yeah. I kind of went in there and this is after everything was kind of laid out, you know, all the really hard stuff. But I went in there and started editing with this, you know, different approach to tone. And then that's when the movie started taking form and kind of shaping into what it became. So that that was that really changed the game for me. That's amazing. I love that. I like that filmmakers open their eyes to stuff and sort of go, well, I actually had to learn to do that. Like Poppy Rowe learned to edit um, for A Serial Killer's Guide to Life. And you've done the same here with Buckshot. And it, it makes a better film. You become a better filmmaker. The next time you go shoot something, you go, you see it with an editor's eye. Yeah, right? no, it's completely true. And, and what I was doing was I would even... Because we I had another one of my friends that uh, helped do half the movie is like an assembly. And so he assembled half, then my wife assembled half, then we put it together and then she started cutting. But what I did was I, I would get curious, like, well, why didn't they use that shot or this shot? So I started tearing the scenes apart to put them back together to see why they made those choices. And so I got really in-depth and, and yeah, it, it opened a different side of my brain that I don't think I'd ever used before. And yes, it definitely, I just uh, shot a short film uh, at the beginning of this month. And so this is the first time I'm directing since Bookshot. And uh, yeah, I felt myself, you know, knowing how things were cut together. And uh, then, you know, before the uh, coronavirus, I was like, oh, well, I'll just, you know, ship it off to somebody and have them edit it. And then coronavirus happened in the lockdown. And I was like, well, maybe I should be oh. sitting at home like editing this. So doing it. I'm editing yeah. it as we speak. It's open on my computer. And uh, yeah, it's it's been quicker for me. And also I feel more confident in doing it. See, that's yeah, that's that's really great. Um, it is. And so what's I mean, you obviously want to direct again now, obviously with Buckshot, you know, getting out. Yeah, there. I have a feature that I'm working on. Well, I have one uh, one feature that uh, I co-wrote with someone that's uh, we're, we're attempting to get funding, you know, after the virus is over. And then I have another mm-hmm. um, kind of more personal film that I've been writing and working on that I'll be still working on once the uh, short's done. So that's great. That's great. That's the idea. And I and that movie, these personal movies, I kind of took the same idea where it's like it's only a couple characters. It's a lot of its exteriors. If everything goes to hell, I could make it for no money. You know, my sister owns some property mm-hmm. in uh, Washington, kind of in the forest. Nice. Yeah, go shoot there. You're like, yeah, So why not? again, to right. the audience, uh, you know, use what you have, what you can get away with, and then you can build on that. So Great, great advice. So good. Yeah, it may be even something that Tim comes back and stars in as well. So Why not? Keep that team. I love keeping my team together as much as possible. If there's people who are good, bring them in like you've done, which is great. So you got the film released, um, you know, worldwide right i mean as far as you know it's pretty much everywhere how did you go about doing that what did you do so we played it a lot of film festivals most of them were smaller but we won some awards which was great and uh we traveled around with that and then at the end of that we um we ended up striking a deal with entertainment studios freestyle media for north america um streaming rights so we got put out, you know, on it, basically every platform in the United States, which was excellent and awesome. 
Did you do the deals with that? I then? did. You do all the paperwork. Amazing, right? It's a hope that again opens your mind up to a totally new. It, it, it did, and it's uh, okay. So thing. here's what I tell people because I went back and forth because I had built, uh, I had a pretty strong, or I still do, I have a really strong social media following. It's almost after the everything debacle of the crowdfunding, I still had everything set up to still collect, you know, emails and still get fans. Mm-hmm. All that was still going, and then I kind of became obsessed with that, and then. I was, you know, I had like 50,000 Facebook fans and I don't know, like 100,000 Instagram and Twitter fans. And, and so anyway, I started building these country music fans and marketing to them. And then it just became almost, I mean, it's almost like a full-time job. And I knew because I was going back and forth between self-distributing and going with a distributor. Mm-hmm. And I knew if I did the self-distribution, we were talking like two years of my life of like doing it. And it's what, what is that, you know, am I going, and that's with me only, I'd be able to only put it on a couple platforms and have to get everyone to go to just to those platforms. Was it advantageous Mm -hmm. to do that? And then I keep all the profits or do I scattershot and get it out to every platform, you know, known to man. And then I can also, then my ego is in the way. It's like, well, Hey, I got a distribution Mm -hmm. deal, which is a big deal. I understand that's a big deal. But it was that was more of an ego thing, I guess. So I, I went back and forth. Yeah. And what I finally came up with is I just didn't want to. I'd already been spending the six months crowdfunding and then another six months marketing. And I just said, this isn't my game. <laughs> I just didn't want to do yes. it for that long. And and who knows? Maybe that means there was money left on the table or not. I, I, I can't tell you. But um, but I, I would say if if you're going to do the self-distribution, you need to start way ahead of time. Like even mm-hmm. while you're writing the script, you should already have a Facebook page, a Twitter page, an Instagram page, a blog. I mean, it, it really is a full-time game. But then you see studios and you go on their Facebook or Twitter and they have like 100 followers. You know, we just yeah. don't have 50 million to put stuff on television and, you know, run ads and stuff yeah. like that. So. No, you can't. You can't. So you thought, let's go with a dispute who can do that for us. And it's yeah. true. But the one thing you have to keep in mind is that now you're a, you know, a little cog in a giant machine. So no one, mm-hmm. I don't care who they are. No one's going to care as much about your movie as you do. So, so true. But, but yeah. you have to, if you're going to go the distribution route and I don't care who they are, or what they sell you, you, they're not going to care as much as you care. So if you're that, I don't think the word's passionate, but if you're that driven and, and you want to be the one getting it out there, I mean, I, to be honest, I really wanted to do the four wall. I mean, like one of my dreams was packing up the guys in an RV, you know, painting the RV, mm-hmm. traveling town to town, mama pops, you yeah. know, movie. Yeah. Setting it up and yeah, doing wins. interviews. And I ran the money and, you know, did budgets for that and stuff. And yeah, it just didn't work out, but yeah, maybe next I still, time. I still wanted, that was what was more exciting to me than anything. I mean, I love doing mm. like this. I love talking about the movie and I, I love going on stage and, and with the actors and stuff and talking about it and seeing it with the, you know, with the whole crowd. And I wanted to bring the musicians, you know, I had these awesome musicians that did the soundtrack and I wanted to bring them along. And then you'd get like, you know, we'd play, you know, a couple songs from the movie at the beginning and then one at the end. And, but that was another dream. Yep. Next time. <laughs> well, next time, isn't it? That, that couldn't, you know, see what happens. But um, but Bookshot is available now around the world, Amazon UK, Amazon USA and many platforms online as well. So do go check it out. Um, YouTube movies, cable and satellite on demand. Um, honestly, Josh, thank you so much for your yeah, time. Thank honestly, you. This, this is has been blast. brilliant. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Where can people follow you then on your Twitter pages or your Instas? Give us those so people can jump on. Twitter is at Buckshot Movie and Instagram is at Buckshot.movie. And then uh, just search Buckshot the Movie on Facebook as well. There you go. And what might you, have you got personal ones? Yeah, yeah. And then I'm uh, Enzo, E-N-Z-O Films. That's plural. And then the number one. There you go. Follow them, follow him. And uh, yeah, get all your updates and information and ask Josh questions. Why yeah, not, heck, right? Yeah, bring it on. That's it. Yeah, the quarantine life. I'll answer anything <laughs> right now. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> mate. Absolutely, we'll get through this. We'll get. I'm gonna say, this. all all filmmakers, get those scripts out. Keep writing. That's it. Now, keep you writing. Got something to do every day. Get you a nine to five. So true. The people that all that time, the people going, oh, I yep. could have written what yep. got no, I've no got to work. No excuses now, right. man. Start doing it. Totally, man. This is the problem. This is where the fear kicks in. The actual reality of it. Oh shit. It's what's well, good to take your good. mind off it. I love having to edit every day and not look at the news at least until the night. Yeah, so. I know. And Luckily, I've got the podcast and I, I speak to our listeners. Hello, listeners, through here. So there is this that's that I've good. got as that's well, which is good. great, <laughs> as well as writing scripts right now. Josh, thank you again. Absolute pleasure. Remember who your audience is and get out there and make your indie film. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it's your duty to send the elevator back down. Until next Tuesday, when we will see you, do like and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. And tell your friends. We'll thank Josh Smith again. Thank you very much for joining thank us. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We will see you next Tuesday. As always, you absolute legends. Until Tuesday, when we have Jill Gavorgazian on, uh, we will see you then. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Yeah. Do you like comedy? Do you like animals? What about science? Do you dig plants? What about writing, snacks, rambling, and rants? Filmmaking, improv, and interviews, Canadians, Australians, boating forecasts, and super reviews, perfectly big packages popping up, podcasts pointing people to discover other podcasts. Check out the Podfix Network, podfixnetwork.com. Plus, check out Podfix Presents, wherever fine podcasts are found. The Podfix Network, artist-owned and loved.